This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 662 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum, your head number one in 420, got me revisiting Marijuana Man comics like Baby Written by Jack Kirby, or maybe I'm just really high. When aren't you, though? You know, it's kind of 420 every It's medicinal. Day. It's medicinal. You son of sure, a... Sure, right. It's uh, it's your emotional support marijuana. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two. And I was never a fan of the sticky, icky... Icky, sticky? What is it? Is it the stickiest of the icky? I think it's fine. You know what? Okay. Uh, regardless, it sounds like it can get all over your hands and thus ruin your comics condition, which is a no-go. <sighs> Today on the show, we're reviewing new comics from last and this week, and then we'll head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to wrap about our must-read picks for next week. After that, we'll give you a sneak peek of our Patreon extra segment where we check in with our nerd across the pond, stately Lord Fungus. We say that like he's the only one. We have many. Yeah, but he's ours. He works for us. He is ours. Yeah, it's true. For a proper British con report. That's right. But enough with introductions. You know the rules. Grab a weapon and prepare to fight. Otherwise, get out of the way because it's review time in the ziggurat. When we review new comics, we like to do it two weeks at a time, starting with four comics from New Comic Book Day, April 13th, and then we'll jump to four comics from New Comic Book Day, 420. Our pile this week is dank as and it features animated X-Men moving to animated Krakoa, Flashpoint is back to further muddy the DC multiverse, the Sandman has a nightmare, and what would a 420 pile be? Without the history of the war on weed. The, hi- the history. History <laughs> of the war on weed. Joe. If you could hear the air quotes. I'm still trying to clear my fogged out brain. So why don't you get us started here? All right, baby. The world of Flashpoint returns. After sacrificing everything to help the Flash put the universe back together and save Bruce Wayne's life, Thomas Wayne wakes up in a world he thought was no more. Forced to don the cowl once again, Batman prowls the streets of Gotham searching for answers to how this world still exists. But what he starts to uncover will send him hurtling around the globe. The hunt for the clockwork killer starts here. Jeff Johns' relationship with DC Comics continues to elude me, as does the decision to revisit both the world of Flashpoint and elements of Doomsday Clock, But damn it, if I'm not a sucker for his old cryptic clues about the multiverse written on the blackboard trick. He's been doing it for about 15 years now. At least. The prime Batman and his sort of but not really dad are both investigating crimes in their respective worlds. In the main DCU, Batman appears to still be investigating the events that led to the infinite frontier, whatever we're supposed to be calling it now. Meanwhile, Thomas Wayne tries to get to the bottom of why his world even still exists at all. It's a really compelling mystery told from two angles that are destined to collide. Johns is certainly at home in these playgrounds that he built with an alley-oop from Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, of course. The story wisely focuses on the very best thing to come from Flashpoint, which was the unexpected saga of Thomas Wayne and his family. We also get surprise appearances from some deep cuts out of the pages of DC's Who's Who that are central to the overarching mystery. 
it's a lot of fun with some exceptional art from Eduardo Rizzo and colorist Trish Mulvihill. This issue is beautifully brutal. And let me tell you, Thomas Wayne is a very scary man. When this series was announced, Matt asked me if I was excited to revisit Flashpoint. The answer at the time was absolutely not. But after reading Flashpoint Beyond Number Zero, I'm all in. I thought it was great. I'm giving it a buy it. So I think if I ask myself that same question, the answer is sort of, and that's coming off of absolutely not. This was not bad. I thought this was interesting. I thought the art was outstanding. I love how Edward Rizzo draws superheroes and we don't see him draw superheroes very often, but yeah. God, he looks so good here. I just don't know if I care about this flashpoint world and even the best written story. I don't know if it's going to pull me in. And this one, I'm not what? saying like it's bad. I'm not giving it a leave it. And everything about the comic looks good. The story is fairly interesting. I just don't know if I care about this world. Okay. But look at it this way. I don't know that we're supposed to necessarily be rooting for the Flashpoint world. No, no. Or so I don't think wondering so. why the hell the Flashpoint world yes. is still here when it got erased. That is the mystery, obviously. And so it's kind of a it's kind of a cosmic team up from across the multiversal divide. I agree. And I'm going to. So I, it's a, it's like, don't really like I don't think we're going to get a ton of like. And now he's got to like investigate things that are going on with that weird version of Green Lantern. Right, had, right, right. You know? And I know what's going on. I just, maybe I need one more issue to really pull me in and I'm going to read the next issue. Uh, so this is actually a primer, uh, right? It's a zero issue. Right. Kind of setting it up for so a story. The story that, yeah. begins in earnest in issue number one. Right. So I'm going to read number one. I'm going to give this the highest skimmit I possibly can because I still don't understand why we need to do this. There's a lot of multiversal stuff going on and I'm with you. I don't understand what is going on with Jeff Johns at all. That has nothing yeah, to that, do with that, this that book. That has nothing to do with the story. That's no. a whole different thing we can and, talk about on cover to cover, but I don't get it. It's weird, man. It's but super another weird. Thing, <laughs> another thing to be fair uh, uh, about the existence of the comic is that the mystery about why Thomas Wayne is still kicking around has been going on since the beginning of Infinite Frontier. Right. Right. Uh, because he's like, he's hanging around with Justice League incarnate and stuff. And everyone's like, what are you, where did you come from? Like, how are you even, how do you even exist? Right. And he's I like, I don't it. know, man. I just don't find that part of Infinite Frontier and all this stuff that's going on as compelling as other parts. So we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, that's maybe that's the next fair. issue. Right. I go, all right, we're all in for now. I mean, I think you judge it by the merits skin. of the storytelling and the art, but what do I know? You I know? still felt like that at the end though. That's my <laughs> thing. Okay. It I didn't get, solve I, the I issue it. for me. I get, I'm getting, go on. All right, let's stop talking about multiverses and, and start talking about something concrete like weird dreams in the Sandman universe. Nightmare country. Number one, this is from DC black label and it's three 99. Written by James Tinian IV, with art by Lissandro Estherin and Yannick Paquette. Here's your solicit. Sometimes nightmares walk the earth. Every night when you sleep, the Lord of Dreams chooses the path you'll follow. Into Sylvan Elysium, or down the hallways of your darkest fears. And sometimes, if it is dreams will, those nightmares escape those halls and go out into the world. But it's not a choice he makes lightly. Today. I, I think that uh, I think that in honor of 420, we should replace every instance of the word darkest with dankest. <laughs> dankest. Right. Your dank, your dankest fears. <laughs> but it's not a 
choice. Okay. Today, the Corinthian walks the earth again. The most feared of all dreams, nightmares, his ravenous mouths have made him a legend among serial killers. Letting the Corinthian out amongst mortals is the most dangerous thing dream could possibly do, but he has no choice because there is another nightmare walking the earth, one that yeah. must be hunted. And this monster is one that Dream, Lord of all nightmares, did not make. Horror comic superstar James Tiny in the Four has waited his whole career to pay. Okay, I'm not reading the whole rest of this. Whatever. That is so long. Oh, yeah. my God. Good Lord. I will say uh, the Sandman universe nightmare country is a terrifying travelogue through a nation recognizable and obscene, which will show you things seen in no Sandman series ever before with spectacular art by that guy I named and a nightmare sequence by the other guy I named. So in a nutshell, there will be one artist as Theron and a guest artist who has another little part in each issue. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and can I just point out how confusing it is? Uh, it must be for somebody who is not familiar with Sandman to hear a phrase like dreams, nightmares. Yeah. That, and that's, I'm going to talk <laughs> about that. It's it's dream. It's it's dream as a proper name. Like his name is right. Dream. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute here. I also yeah. don't think that's the fault of what's going on because they just, no, I just think it's funny that it's, it's just like, I can't, I can't imagine like a, 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 a lay person, let's a Sandman that. civilian going, what? Yeah. Let's tear that bandaid off right now. There is a massive barrier of entry here. If you've never read any Sandman stuff, this is not the place to start unless you just want to go in and go, wow, I don't know what's going on, but this is wild, man. <laughs> and I will say, there is a section where they explain some of it, but if you've never read the Sandman, you're going to be confused. There it is. Now, last year, it seemed like the Sandman U wasn't long for this world after the cancellation of all the monthly titles. Turns out something is killing the children writer. Tiny Onion is here to take a shot at the Sandman U, and he's bringing his unique sense of horror with him. The story begins with Flynn. A young artist describing her dreams to a guy that she's going to take home later. She talks about how she used to dream, but now she only remembers little parts like this character that had mouths for eyes. The Corinthian, who longtime fans are definitely going to remember. The two new characters, Mr. Agony and Mr. Ecstasy, seem to be either tracking the Corinthian or tracking people who have seen the Corinthian. We don't really know yet. Dreams are, of course, a major part of the Sandman U. They've always been mysterious and ethereal, but Tinian has a new take here where dreams are a trap. Lissandro's art is great. It's creepy, thin line, detailed when it needs to be, and loose in other panels, but it's Patricio Del Pecci's colors that make this story absolutely glow. They're beautiful, and he does this thing where... As we get closer to normal people experiencing the Corinthian in real life, the colors sort of drain out of the panels, not like black and white, but they get like almost gray Muted. toned, like ooh, mm -hmm. yeah. super creepy. Paquette's story is four pages that lay out the Corinthian's background, which I appreciated as it's been a while since I've read The Sandman. I wouldn't go as far as to call it a nightmare. In fact, I would say it's sort of the brightest part of the book. But anyway... <laughs> I mean, no, yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't look like a nightmare, Not but it all. reads like a nightmare. Yeah, I guess I love well, Matt. He's writing like he's writing shit down in a book bound with human skin. Like, yeah, it's a nightmare. I know, but it's beautiful to look at. Well, sure. Yeah, it's very pretty. <laughs> And they also explain it like, look, this is just what he does. This is his job. He's not necessarily. Yes, he is a nightmare. But he, uh, the yeah. whole thing with the Corinthian is that he's a nightmare that's gone rogue. Right. 
But right? he walks the earth. He's like, not that's necessarily not a bad guy either. He's just doing no. He's a bad job. guy. No, the Corinthian is a bad guy. I don't know. He I, murdered people. Like he he killed people. But like in Sandman, he was walking a, the earth killing people. But he was thought he was doing it for the right reasons. Nope. <laughs> I love the design of the two new characters with hooks pulling Mister Ecstasy's skin and the massive gimp masked Mister Agony. Yeah, it's very S and M. Oh man, kind of very uh, Hellraiser. Hellraiser stuff. Yeah, yeah, stuff. There's another new mysterious character here who may or may not be involved with anyone, but looks to play a pretty major part. That's like the job of the hut thing. That That's kind of, the new nightmare that dream did not create. Yeah. I almost guarantee it because See, that character also had eyes for teeth. Right. So. But, and like, or I kind of thought they were talking about Mr. Agony, Mr. Ecstasy, but I don't think they are. No, <laughs> no. Tiny and is weaving old threads and new to building new mystery that looks to put his horror stamp on the same. Sandman you and while the title is a little clunky and long the story and arc pay homage to the golden age of vertigo comics i'm giving this a buy it it just took me back this took me back to the dreaming the endless i had a lot of fun here yeah no i liked it a lot um i you know apropos of nothing uh before i even read this i've i've kind of uh had the itch to start rereading sandman i don't i couldn't tell you why uh i'm not sure what prompted it but i read this and i was like oh yeah this is the stuff um i love the corinthian the corinthian is so cool and mm-hmm. gross uh the whole the whole teeth for eyeballs thing and then like he eats eyes and he puts them in his mouth eyes to eat them yeah, it's, it's gross just disgusting and then otherwise he just looks like a handsome dude. It's very, it's like a very. Yeah. And he wears sunglasses all the time. So he's just yeah, like, it's, it's a very striking Until- visual. Um, and it's like, yeah, not all nightmares look like nightmares. Like this guy is uh, hiding in plain sight. Right. And um, it, it's almost kind of weird to see him as the protagonist sort of. Well, like maybe. he's trying to figure out because <laughs> I didn't get the impression, like, I didn't get the impression that he was after Flynn. I think he was trying to figure out what's going on because he, because he was confused that she could see him. Yeah. He wanted to know or why that she had been dreaming of him. It's not that she could see him. It's that she could remember him. That's right, yeah, what he right. didn't get. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, I, I think it's all very interesting. I love Sandman, uh, the Sandman universe and all their weird, gross characters. And, uh, you know, the Tinian did not disappoint with his addition to the mythos. Uh, the art is gorgeous. This is a buy it for me. Loved it. Death has family, desire, destiny, despair. Which one have I got? Dream. That's enough about dreams. Joe Patrick, it is 1992. We're young. We're spry. We're waking up Saturday morning. And what are we watching? The X-Men. Anyway, we're talking about X-Men 92, number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Steve Fox with an E. I like to call him Steve Foxy. With art by Salva Espen. And here's your solicit. The 90s are back again. Everyone's favorite 90s incarnations of the X-Men have returned. But this time, everything is even all newer and all more differenter. Mutantkind is taking a huge leap forward by founding their own nation on the island of Krakoa, guided by Professor X, Magneto, and a mysterious long-lived woman who knows more than she should. (laughs) Twist, it's not who you think. That's right, the 90s X-Men are tackling the Krakoan age 30 years early, and it is not going the way you expect, as I just said. Sorry about that. 
The decision to bring back the world of the 90s X-Men cartoon only to do weird retellings of modern X stories still completely baffles me. I can't say this wasn't a blast to read. Steve Fox's script had the dialogue playing in my mind as read by the original voice actors, complete with like sugar and storms overblown, like by the goddess of whatever. Like I, I heard it all as though it were still happening. The cartoon's habit of telling almost Elseworld versions of familiar events is on full display as well, with some surprising changes molding the Dawn of X into the animated world. I, I probably should have seen it coming, but I didn't. The art by Salva Espen is a treat. Espen captures the spirit of the 90s animation, but still sticks to his own style. Uh, the pop art colors of Israel Silva go a long way towards establishing that feel as well. And the book's design elements look like an episode of Saved by the Bell threw up all over them. Oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's great. And the fonts they use in the like text are it's so close to comic sans. It's ridiculous. I didn't need or want a return to the world of the animated X-Men, but despite my own misgivings, I did kind of love it. X-Men 92. Number one gets up by it. I thought it was fun. You know what? I, so while reading this, I couldn't help compare it to like the GI Joe Transformers stuff and like the, where we do like sure. the animated stuff at IDW. And one of the things that we constantly remark about when they do that is it is, art perfect to the animated style right yeah like when they yeah. did like the star trek animated you know and stuff. the gi joe one we just reviewed not the long GI ago joe saturday morning cartoon special the animation matches the art perfectly i think sal Nespa is a very talented artist i don't think that he matched that look of the x-men 90s cartoon art very well he made it look well, but animated. that's not what i was necessarily looking for either i just wanted it to look good and i get that i guess i wanted that i guess in thinking of these like the we are looking at the old cartoon that's what i wanted to see and i'm going to criticize it for that because we have other people that are doing that and nailing it and this is very much in that spirit no question okay but uh, listen my counterpoint is that i don't think that's a fair criticism the art is good i'm not saying it's bad just because it's not what you were expecting doesn't make it bad i'm not saying it's bad what i'm saying is i was hoping that it would match the cartoon i'm not gonna punish the book for that but i would have liked it if they had taken that idw route and matched right. what that art looks like the rest of it was fun you had Wolverine constantly talking about payback. You had Beast dropping. Yeah. That, there's like a Beast quote where out of the middle, it's great. They're like, Beast, come in here and bomb this uh, satellite they're on. And he's like, I'm on my way, commencing bombing run. Though as Hemingway said, never think that war, no matter how necessary, nor how justified, is not a crime. Which is just like right out of the comic. Oh, the it really is. It, no, it totally is. So and they, he had it on the little glasses and everything. Yeah, it was great. And they so they leaned into a lot of that stuff. I just think it would have completed the shtick had the art looked exactly like the '90s cartoon, and I would have enjoy, I would have enjoyed this a little more. Right now, it's it, it's fun, it's fine. Art looks good. It's another X book, but it just kind of I felt like it lost the shtick a little bit, to be perfectly honest. So again, I'm gonna go strong skim it. I think that that is an unfair expectation, uh, but you know what? It's your review, not mine. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I wanted. Though, we'll just like, let the listeners pile on. And, and, <laughs> feel yeah, free. You know? <laughs> feel free. Time. Let's get out of Saturday cartoons and into something a little more poignant to today. Let's talk about Breakout, number one from Dark Horse. It's $3.99 from writer Zach Kaplan with artist Wilton Santos. Here is your solicit. 
when massive cube spaceships from another dimension materialize over our cities and routinely abduct teenagers to be held inside their mysterious floating prisons. Liam Watts' younger brother Tommy is taken, but while governments and adults across the world accept this loss as inevitable, Liam refuses to give up hope. Now, in a Take Back Our Future anthem, Liam assembles a skilled team of ordinary high school students to risk it all, but can they pull off the impossible and succeed in an out-of-this-world prison break? Join the crew and unlock a sci-fi adventure like no other. Written by rising comic star Zach Kaplan, who wrote Port of Earth, which I reviewed and we both liked. Join with the future. I don't know that one. With kinetic art, buzzing with life, drawn by Wilton Santos, who worked on Excalibur and Dawn of X, and colored by Jorson Wordy, who worked on God Country and Wasted Space. First issues, they're all about setup and world building, while a story about giant cube ships that appeared from nowhere kidnapping high school-aged kids sounds like it could be a lot to swallow. This creative team does an excellent job making it feel all too familiar. The indestructible cubes are an obvious stand-in for school shootings and the COVID pandemic, but Kaplan does a really nice job keeping the story moving towards the hook. It's a caper story, complete with a crew of specialists. This is another one of those times where I didn't read the solicit at first, so I was pleasantly surprised when the story took the caper turn. The art by Santos was a nice surprise, too. I remember him looking good on Excalibur, but it turns out he can make a comic full of what's mostly dialogue look great as well. There were some spread panels that I found a little hard to follow at first, but I figured it out quickly, and after the first one, I didn't have any problems. So, Breakout has a really good premise and a creative team that seems to get better with every new project I visit them on. While it might be a little hard to believe that these kids stand a chance, I'm curious to see how they're going to pull it off. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, you know, I, I this is kind of... Uh, this is right in Dark Horse's wheelhouse, right? Yeah. It's this like kind of unheralded or like low fanfare, low stakes sci-fi story mm -hmm. that's not like getting it that doesn't have a huge push behind it. It's just a it's just a solid like miniseries, like you know, she could fly or or uh or or whatever else. And um I I thought it was a good time. I thought the art was great. Yeah. Um, Santos I, I'm not is at good. all familiar with Wilton Santos. Uh, they, I mean, the, the solicit said he worked on um, Excalibur uh, and uh, some other Don of X stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it was really well done. Kaplan's script like really kept it moving. And when do you give up on the people that have been taken? Right. right? I thought that was all very compelling, uh, though. I do wish he had not like put a date on it at some point in the script. He's like, Joey's been missing for three months or whatever uh, the brother's name was that got captured. And it's like, really? And that's it? Like, that doesn't seem like enough time for the mom to be like, well, that's just how it is now, son. Well, I mean, like, uh, in, in light of what's happening with like, robot like, things look, that I mean, seem I, unstoppable, they shot nuclear missiles at these things I, and I nothing happened. Like, <laughs> so. I, I, under, I understand that, like, this has been going on long enough yeah. that humanity as a whole is just like, well, this is our new normal. But I'm here to tell you that if a mother right. has a child get snatched by space aliens no, or I, whatever they are. I don't disagree. Three months is not going to be like enough time for her to accept it, to get from grief to acceptance. Right. Okay? I would hope my mom would mourn me a little longer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that, but, you know, whatever. That's like a small, that's a small quibble. 
I didn't mean to use the word quibble there because I used it when my reviews pretend I didn't say it. But yeah, I thought this was great. It's a buy it from me. Jumping forward into the future to today. It's Captain America number zero from Marvel Comics, written by Toki Onebuki, Jackson Lansing, and Colin Kelly, with art by Machia de Ulis. That's my best shot. I apologize to anybody that uh, I offend. Here's your solicit. When Arnim Zola launches a catastrophic attack on New York City, he meets his match in Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers. In the explosive battle that follows, two Captain Americas prove better than one, and Sam and Steve decide they may just keep a good thing going. I'm not going to say those names again, but they have worked on Black Panther Legends, King the Conqueror, The Mighty Valkyries, Invisible Woman. It's a good art team. Uh, And writing team. They kick off an incredible new Captain America saga, and you won't want to miss what comes next. This one shot is a joint thesis defending the existence of two heroes sharing the role of Captain America. The issue's three writers use battlefield discussions between the men and the villainous Arnim Zola to make a case for each. Steve Rogers is all about smashing tyrants to preserve the American ideal. Sam embodies the drive to fight for people that hate you just for existing. It's brilliantly executed through classic and exciting superhero action. It's thrilling, a bit cheesy in the best ways, and even kind of funny at times. The fully painted art in this comic by Mattia D is absolutely stunning. Last night, I told Matt I thought there was one spot where some of the faces looked a little off. I looked again for this review. I was wrong. I think I told the you you were a jerk, off. too. And you knew uh, Yeah, you did. To... You called me a jerk and they said for you... insulting a Stormbreaker. That's right. Uh, is Machia de, de Ulis a Stormbreaker? I believe so. Or did so. you just pull that out of thin air? No, I think he's a Stormbreaker because they listen to the Stormbreaker working on something else. I don't know. All right. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't say Stormbreaker in the solicit, but all right. That's fine. That's a joke, by the way. The Stormbreaker thing is really stupid. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't like the Stormbreaker. Yeah, it's we, so we, dumb. Have, we do not apply any extra cachet to the Stormbreaker title. The artist pulls off an incredible feat, which is matching the beats of the script note for note. And that might seem like a given in most comics. It seems rare to me for a comic book with painted artwork to flow as seamlessly as this one does, because... There's something about painted artwork that just makes everything look much more static. Yeah. And so for it to, it like, it's not, it's like panel for panel, line for line, the art matches the script. And that is just a masterful bit of writing, editing, and artwork and lettering. Good job, letterer. My only critique is that there are a couple of moments where characters seem frozen uh, rather than in motion. Uh, again, that is a very minor quibble. There's the quibble I See, intended to use. You could just use. not say quibble there. That's a minor complaint. <laughs> no, look, I'm, I'm owning my use of the word okay. quibble, okay? Right. Um, I'm talking specifically, there's a, a scene towards the end of the book where Cap and Cap are in midair and Steve catches Sam and they're kind of gliding on Steve's shield and they just looks like they're, they're like Steve's shield is flying. They're just flying. Fair. Um, but again, minor. Captain America Zero makes a great case for the existence of not only two Captains America, but two distinct Cap titles. And I'm very excited to check out both as they launch in the months ahead. I'm giving this a buy it. It's great. So I was thinking about what you just said about painted art. And I think it is an artifact of when you are painting 
a comic book, you have to be very deliberate because painting takes time. You're not sitting here yes, sketching. Right. You're not sitting there whipping stuff out digitally. You're painting. In an Alex Ross book, for example, you get a lot of spreads. You get a lot of big pages. You know, you get a lot of- It's a lot of posing. Yes. It's a lot of portraiture and posing. Right. And this, you're right. It wasn't there. It looked very much painted. I don't know if it is fully painted or if there's digital stuff going I mean, it on might here, be digital painted. It might be digitally painted. Holy crap. This book looked amazing. It was gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. It moved at breakneck speed, but it was never lost. It was just fun. I love the two caps working together. And this made me very much think about Bruce Wayne and Jace Fox at DC and how they're handling two Batman and how you would never friggin' know that these two Batman were even on the same planet, let alone the same timeline. Here, they're just like, yes, there's two caps. There's Steve and then there's Sam. Deal with it. Here we go. Even Arnim yeah, Zola made it. fun of him for it. It was great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you know what? It's a hell of a lot better than the last time. Yeah. Both Steve and Sam uh, tried to uh, be Captain America at the same time. And one was great. And one was a secret Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely. No, I'm giving this a buy it. And I'm really excited for both books as well. And I'm really excited for these creative teams in the end of it. They Marvel did a thing and they did a thing thing. that I ask for all the time. Why are we doing this thing? Why are you giving me a Captain America zero? Here's why, Matt. I want to introduce you to the creative team of this Captain America book and the creative team of this Captain America book. And I went, okay, there it is. Now I know why we're here. Now I know what we're doing. And I'm excited for both. Each, yeah, each book has a different mission statement and I am here for it. And all the writers were right here. It was awesome. Giving it a bye. stick in the marvel you maybe but uh, i don't think it's same timeline possibly i don't think it i don't think it is but okay <laughs> and let's talk about dr strange nexus of nightmares number one from marvel it costs 3.99 it was written by the karate kid ralph macchio with art by ibrahim <laughs> mustafa i'm, I'm sure never gonna quit is, that joke I, i'm sure that he never gets tired of the hearing that. oh sure it's just like every time someone says to me you're the bomb has anybody said that and i go no you're the very first no one's ever said that i think you're very creative thank you <laughs> here Here's your solicit to dream or not to dream nightmare has invaded Dr. Strange's dreams and turned them into terrible nightmares. I mean, you want to talk about a guy whose job is in his name nightmare. Yeah, there right. <laughs> <laughs> these dark feelings now inhabit every fiber of Dr. Strange's dank, waking dank, life. Dank feelings. These dank feelings. These dank feelings now inhabit every fiber of Dr. Strange's waking life and has left him weak and unable to protect the realm. Now Baron Mordo and Nightmare are ready to strike. Can Steven shake Nightmare's grip over him or will the world be lost to Nightmare's dream realm? forever there is a scene in this where Mordo is talking to nightmare and he's like this uh the dark hold will allow you to come out of yes. your dank realm yes. he doesn't say dark he says dank he says dank he does say dank <laughs> so if you've been following dr strange continuity yes he is still dead and this is a limited series i guess for funsies <laughs> it is i think it's a one shot God, I thought for sure there was more of this and it was going to be. I don't think so. So I think I thought that it was this a series occup- of vignettes. I think that this occupies, I think that this occupies the same space as like, we're going to do a story about Thanos and the Silver Surfer Ugh. drawn by the guy that drew the Infinity Gauntlet. And, and so it's like, you remember this, right? You liked this back in the day. Like, what is I Ralph- think it's just one. What I does this know. creative team have to do with Dr. Strange? We'll get nothing. That. We'll get zero. That. We'll get Absolutely that. zero. 
This almost feels like an intro to the character with Macho writing some crazy dialogue to remind you who he is. Like, you see, Wong, these hands that once performed the most delicate of brain operations still tremble with the nerve damage I sustained in that career-ending car accident years ago. Who f- talks like that? <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a very 80s feel to the writing. I hope this letter is paid by the letter. No doubt. Steven, and, if he is, he doesn't have to work again. Steven and Wong <laughs> narrate their every move and thought. Machio adds some stuff to Strange's origin. Like, look, I know Strange was arrogant, but I don't remember a time where he refused to perform a surgery because a person with a terminal brain tumor couldn't pay a fee? Like... I don't remember that. He doesn't all. even work in the billing department. Right. Like, why would he even be having that conversation? That's stupid, yeah. you know? I've liked Ibrahim's work in the past, but this looked a little like smudgy, maybe almost out of focus in some panels. Not to mention, he draws Steven to look like Benedict Cumberbatch, but he doesn't draw <laughs> Wong to look like Benedict Wong, which is a uh. weird choice, but Whatever. The whole issue feels like a setup to reintroduce Doctor Strange to new readers with a Mordo Nightmare team up that mentions the Darkhold, almost like a comic for readers that only saw Doctor Strange and WandaVision. It's weird, to say the least. Doctor Strange Nexus of Nightmares is not well written, nor is it well drawn. And by the way, what is this? Why is this on the stands now? And before Joe jumps on me for asking that question, he asked me that first in a text right before we recorded this show. No, no, no. I My question, um, I get on you for saying, do we need this? Okay. Which I, is not a fair, we don't need any of it. But I think it is absolutely fair to question, like, why is this getting made? Who right. is it for? I don't know if I agree I would that argue. he looks like Benedict Cumberbatch. I think he just looks like a guy that happens to look like Benedict Cumberbatch. But all right. <laughs> fair enough. You did ask me, what is this even for? Which I think is very close to why do we need this? So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, w- I, I think I can split that hair, but we, that's okay. not, this, now's not the time. Now, we wonder, like, is this in continuity? Is this out of continuity? They mention Doesn't a matter. thing. Mordo mentions a time to Nightmare where he captured Beyonders that tried to come to his oh, realm. Right. That is a thing that happened. That w- happened in Secret Wars. In 2015, Secret Wars, Beyonders invaded the dream dimension. Wait, what? Yeah. There's a whole thing in the 2015 Secret Wars storyline where Beyonders invaded the dream dimension in one of the spinoff stories, right? My question is, didn't Brian Michael Bendis reveal that Beyonder was an inhuman in New Avengers Illuminati? Uh, Okay, hold on. I think Hickman ignored that, first of all. I think that was, I think um, it's gone. Because there was a the thing the, where Professor like the- X decided you're a mutant that was exposed to Terrigen Mists. And it turned out like it it made you godlike or something like that. Yeah, no. I think Hickman kind of introduced the idea of the Beyonders being a race, but historically, like in classic Marvel continuity, the Beyonder, like with the Jerry Curl in the suit. Right. right. Um, he is a cosmic cube that has evolved into sentience. That's yeah. that's where Beyonders come from. Yeah. I just thought that changed and maybe they've erased that now too. So I don't dude, I, don't I couldn't tell you. I honestly don't know. Let's get back to this book. Leave it. <laughs> yeah, no, it sucks. It's going so terrible. Now, I, I am not as down on the art as you. I think Mustafa is uh, is a, a great artist. I do think that some of it does look a little bit like we're looking at it through right like, through a window pane, I guess my point like is a slightly muddy window pane. He's better than um, this. Is my point. 
I mean, this is certainly not the guy that drew high crimes, you know. Yeah. Um, but this is, I, I feel like the style's been adjusted to, to kind of match the Marvel universe. You know what I'm saying? I think he's trying to fit his square peg into the round hole. If you say so. Um. Oh, but you're right though. This specifically says Secret Wars 2015. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think Hickman rejiggered the Beyonders into something else. So it, it best not to think about it too hard. Um, I, I think as far as continuity goes, I think this totally occupies the same space as Marvel's whole line of like nostalgic retro comics like symbiote spider-man and we're getting uh, that silver surfer miniseries that's going on right, right now right um you know uh, I th- like this fits right in with that stuff and i don't understand like x-men 92 is one thing right right that is it, your shtick that is, it is a specific a nostalgia trigger like, right like i don't know that anybody is like asking for I want comics that take place during that very specific year that I loved comics as a kid. Like the new, there's an upcoming, um, there's a Venom series coming out, Venom Lethal Protector. That's exactly what it sounds like. It's just the Lethal Protector era. But like, but why? Like, what? I don't understand because what we're he doing. screams "Lethal Protector" in the movie. That's why. So there you go. I'm a lethal protector. Yeah. He literally <laughs> did scream that. In I, I blocked that out. Um, no, this is a leave it for me. Uh, it it baffles me on every level why Marvel like they must sell something. I would, and I would also go as far as to say that you acknowledging that X Men '92 was a certain shtick backs up why I wanted the cartoon. So no, Matt, style, I'm so. not questioning there your you desire. I'm saying it's not a fair criticism of the comic. I'm it makes it fair. You admitted it was a shtick, so that's no, no. <laughs> you know, we just got done talking about books that occupy a vague, uh, nebulous continuity past <laughs> yeah. era timeline, right? Uh, we're going to keep that train rolling with The Vampire Slayer, number one. It's from IDW. It's written by Sarah Gailey with art by Michael Shelfer. Remember that because things are about to get confusing. Here's your solicit. A bold new story in a new universe begins, courtesy of Hugo Award-winning author Sarah Gailey, who wrote the comic book Eat the Rich, which I did not love. Uh, I didn't love number one. Sorry, Sarah. And artist Irene Flores, who drew a comic book called Just Beyond. Spoilers. Irene Flores did not draw this comic book. After years of fighting against the forces of evil, Buffy Summers finds herself succumbing to the burden of bearing the Slayer mantle. To help his Slayer, Rupert Giles is willing to risk a return to chaos magic. And with Willow's help, they attempt a spell to remove the trauma from Buffy's psyche. The effects backfire, though, and leave Buffy unable to remember her past or her purpose. With Sunnydale... uh, Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just hold your tongue. Okay. I'll get there. I will say I'm making a face. You can't see it. This is the first time. This is the first time I've read this solicit and I'm going, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. Matt, Matt, Matt is making a very understandable face. Just hold on with Sunnydale under attack. A new slayer must rise to protect it. While Buffy's friends race against the clock to restore her true self. Now, That all sounds like a pretty good setup for a Buffy story, right? Sure. If only any part of it made its way into the actual comic book. That's why it's making that face. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There, there is a title page uh, that has like, you know, that little blurb at the top that you see it on superhero comics where it's like rocketed from a doomed planet uh, describing the Slayer and that this is a different universe, but neither that page nor the story explain anything mentioned in the solicit i mean nothing yeah nothing yeah 
nothing about anything that happened to Buffy to rob her of her powers and her memory. Nothing about making Willow the new Slayer. Spoilers, I guess Willow's the Slayer. You find out immediately, page two. There are a couple of very vague mentions of a quote-unquote situation where uh, in their private uh, their private side conversations, uh, Giles is like, we need to figure out what's going on. And Will's like, it's not your fault, Giles. That's it. And it could just as easily refer to the giant crab monster terrorizing Sunnydale. Right. Or it could just as easily refer to like what happened with Willow and magic, like in the regular Buffy verse. Yeah. Like like literally nothing, nothing is explained in this comic. Writer Sarah Gailey does a good job capturing the essence of each character with the exception of reducing Buffy to a totally helpless idiot. Tasked with retrieving a flamethrower from the arsenal the former Slayer stands in front of a cabinet full of exclusively bladed weapons and can't identify the giant fuel tank clearly marked with a fire symbol. Yeah. Which one do I grab? She says that is a direct line of dialogue. Uh, And she's looking at like axes, spears, swords, spears, crossbows with arrows. There's literally not another gun in the cabinet. There's not. Yeah. No, no. There's nothing, nothing. I'm not sure what happened to Irene Flores, but Michael Shelfer's art is really good. Maybe she read the I always, <laughs> Maybe. I always enjoy when the art in a licensed book invokes the real life actors without being slavishly devoted to photo reference. Uh, he nails it. Everybody like looks and feels enough like the characters or like the actors that it's like, that's Xander, that's Willow. And it, like... It's like uh it's like a good cartoon, right? Where the silhouette is is what makes it. it this was almost like when they do an animated version of, you know, sort like of, yeah, kind characters. of, yeah. Uh why was this set in a parallel universe at all? I don't know. This could have easily been set in standard Buffy continuity. Yeah. And it could have, the story could have been spell backfires, Buffy loses her powers, oops, and also her memory. Like that that would have been great. On top of that, why was the actual premise of the series hidden from the reader entirely? And I do mean entirely because I'm here to tell you, like, yes, I do think that there are some readers out there that are like, I'm going to read the description of this comic book online on Previews World or on Comixology or uh, wherever. Uh, And so they may have had that solicit. But I'm saying the majority of comic book readers are just like, I love Buffy. I'm going to check out the new Buffy comic. They would not know what's going on. Yeah. They wouldn't. Yeah. I was so befuddled by the mission statement of the vampire slayer number one that I couldn't fully enjoy it. And I'm actually downgrading it from a stim it to a leave it. I was going to yell at you for that because you, because because I agree. I was giving it a skim it because all of that confusion with the solicit aside, like if I had not read the solicit at all, I would have thought, okay, this is a, what if we're Willow's the slayer. And I would have enjoyed it on those merits, but having that added layer of story that is missing from the comic, just it it tanks it for me. Yeah, no, it's a leave it. They failed here. They failed. And I want to apologize to the artist because I think the art is great. The art is very good, but they failed here. If they're trying to tell me that this is an alternate reality where all this stuff happens, you got to set that up. You can't because we have expectations when we read a comic book like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or you read a comic book like Star Trek or whatever. You have expectations of the characters, how they're going to act, what they do, their jobs and shit like that. And it's never 
clearly spelled out. And I would argue, no, it's not even clearly spelled out that Willow is the only Slayer. I thought maybe, no. oh, they're both Slayers here. Because if you look at the cover, it says the Vampire Slayer, and there's a bunch of characters. And I went, oh, well, those are all lightning. Those are all. I mean, I, I guess, but after reading it, I looked at it again and I said, are they trying to establish that there's a lot of vampire slayers in like, I couldn't even put that together. This was poorly executed and it may not be the fault of the writer. Maybe there was a prequel or something that was supposed to come out and didn't, but this is a completely bizarre choice. It left me you know scratching my head, wondering what the hell was going on. Like I fundamentally did not understand what was happening because they kept giving you all these touchstones like, well, this character acts like they did in the show. This character acts like they did in the show. There's a monster like they'd fight in the show. There's a magical element that they need to fight the monster. Like all the stuff is there. It's just yeah. very subtly different. And we're not going to tell you why or explain how we got here. That is a failure. I'm giving this a leave it. Yeah. I mean, so like the characters on the cover, uh, I believe that they're just characters that you would recognize from the yeah, original Buffy series. They, they definitely are. It's Buffy, Faith, sure. um, Angel, um, Anya, Kendra, for some reason, who became a slayer through technicality. And also, I, I knew that it was set during the past because uh, it takes place in Sunnydale, which after the series right. got sucked into the Hellmouth. So could have been just like Untold Tale of Buffy, number one. Right. Uh, but it's not. And they just completely dropped the ball, as I did when I said that this came from IDW. I apologize. It's it came from, from Boom. Boom. Yes, I changed it Thank in you. our notes. But <laughs> good, I'll, I'll I changed make- it in the script as well. So okay. yeah, it's from it's from Boom. All right, let's take it Sunnydale and jump on the 101 North to Humboldt, California, for the secret history of the war on weed. One shot from Image. It's 4.99. It's written by Brian Passane and Jerry Duggan with art by Scott Koblish. Here is your solicit. Brian Passane, Jerry Duggan, and Scott Koblish reform Voltron, metaphorically only, from their days on Deadpool, also not appearing, to tell a true story and lost chapter from our nation's sad and failed war on drugs. The year is 1985. The First Lady decides to crush Northern California cannabis farmers and deploys the biggest tool in the armed forces, Scotch McTiernian collectible first of many hilarious appearances quote if it is weeds we can kill it quote scotch puts his boots on the ground in humboldt and does what he does best but what happens when he gets high for the first time this one shot has it all laughs tears heart action plus an activity page a portion of the proceeds from this comic will be donated to organizations dedicated to helping casualties of america's immoral drug war I'm not sure what made me think this creative team would boil the actual history of the American war on cannabis into 48 pages, but I guess they kind of did, <laughs> or maybe mm. they got, uh, they didn't, well, they kind of didn't. Well, hold on. Or maybe they got wicked high and thought this would be funnier. There's some great onomatopoeia here, such as stabby stab, cheesy one-liners like iguana blow your head off, while a Schwarzenegger American ideal fights a socialist lizard god that heals his people for free with a fossil fuel free powered society (laughs) and more puns that I couldn't even count. But somehow, they actually packed quite a bit of real educational info into this hyper-violent, macho historical fiction comic fantasy. And it just works. Yes. 
Kobush's Scott McTiernan is nine feet of rippling muscle sent to wage war on the weed farmers of Humboldt, California. But he ends up learning about the plant's medical benefits and the joyful people involved in weed culture. Believe it or not, you will actually learn something about the failure of the war on drugs in this absurdist tale. There's some pretty far out art by Koblish. The pages of the Swamp Thing homage weed thing are absolutely amazing. Plus, there's some actually challenging activity pages here featuring word jumbles and a crossword. This was joyful. It was fun. It was stupid. It was packed full of puns and violence, but they actually did get some of this research right and teach you a little bit about the unconstitutional war on drugs in America. I am giving this a buy it and the proceeds go to really, really good causes that they lead that they list in the end. Go buy this. Okay. I don't even care if you read it. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I'm not like, I don't have a ton invested in the whole you know, weed culture thing. And I, but I do understand that as a citizen of the world that like nonviolent drug offenders are wrongly imprisoned and it takes up resources, it takes up space and it takes away the uh, people's lives. And yeah, yeah that's bad. Um, and this comic does touch on that. Yeah. Um, the reason they started this war is the exact same reason that they lay out here. America's in a bad way. Shit's not going well. We need something we can win. What should we do? Let's buy drugs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There it is. Um, But I also like, it's also, you know, it it is absurdist in its telling like Nancy Reagan, though the solicit identifies her as the first lady. She's the president. I think she's the president. Yeah, she she is the president. But I think the joke is like, so she was behind the war on drugs and just say no. Yeah, no, just say no, right? Yeah. And so she was the real power behind Reagan, who was just a moron. So I, well, I understand <laughs> like, the joke. Here I'm they make her the that, president. Like, the solicit, like maybe they changed it at some point, but the solicit calls her the first lady yeah. in the story. In fact, she is running the show. She's the president. Not Nancy Reagan keeps making very lewd uh, references to like needing a, a a long hard belt of scotch. Yeah, this is great. A uh, great fun. It's a buy it from me. The art is awesome. The script is hilarious. We time will tell if Scotch McTiernan makes a return, but I have a feeling, uh, I have a feeling we're going to see more. And I hope we keep doing it. Like let's learn something with Scotch McTiernan. For instance, I think Scotch McTiernan is a perfect guy to take down critical race theory, you know, something along no, those will, lines. Yeah. <laughs> If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. Matt, before we switch from Indica Spliffs to Sativa in the Bong. Yeah, I said that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, You're doing great. Okay. <laughs> right. For a guy who's never smoked pick- weed, I'll get you there one day, but you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN permanent collection. What was the best thing you read in this pile? It's Captain America Zero. It's Captain America Zero. Yeah, I agree. It was it just is a kick-ass. It was just a kick-ass Cap book starring two guys a Cap. They explained it, told us to deal with it, laid out what's coming next. They did the job, and I am so tired of a lot of these, especially the big two. You should know how to do the job by now, and they did it. They laid it out. They got me excited about what's to come. Beautiful art, great story. Cap Zero. Same, same, same. All 
right, that's enough of this review business. Now it is up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the bong of bomb galif is loaded with Valtorian peanut butter kush. And with a couple good rips, we'll open our consciousness and make our must-read picks for next week. Joe, which of these nerds be reading next Wednesday, 427? You're trying to get kids hooked on the wacky tobacco. Exactly. Um, <laughs> They'll be happier. My pick for next week is Amazing Spider-Man number one. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't say no. It's from Marvel. It's $5.99. I would have picked it if you it's did. Written it by, looks great. Yeah, it does look great. It's written by Zeb Wells with art by John Ramita Jr. Yeah, that's right. Here's your solicit. What did Spider-Man do? I heard he farted really loud. He farted so loud so it's like that it like Spider-Man. <laughs> Empire State University. Peter's on the outs with the FF. He's on the outs with the Avengers. He's on the outs with Aunt May. No one wants to see Spider-Man except for Dr. Octopus. Ox on Spider-Man's tail and the master planner has something truly terrible planned for when he gets his tentacles on Spidey. Gross. All that, and what does Tombstone have planned? I love Tombstone. I love Tombstone, too. He has not been around. Uh, it's Yeah, his sightings are rare. Just in time for Spider-Man's 60th anniversary, a new volume of Amazing Spider-Man begins, and 2022 is going to be the biggest year for Spider-Man ever. Don't believe us? We brought John Ramita Jr. back from the dead just for this. I, don't think, I think he's fine. I he's been dead for years. I didn't, People just okay. don't know that. I, I, I thought he was all right. He's but, definitely uh, not been drawing for DC. He's been dead. Yeah, they shot him after that, that gorilla thing. <laughs> They're like, John... Look at the pretty look at the pretty rabbits. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, it's like uh, John they shot him uh, in the back of the head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm very excited for this. I think John Romita Jr. John Romita Jr. is my favorite Spider-Man artist of all time. Yeah, easily. Um, easily. John Romita Jr. is back with uh, Scott Hanna, who uh, inked his classic run on uh, J. Michael Straczynski's Amazing Spider-Man. They look great together. It's slick. It's sleek. It's everything I want in a Spider-Man comic. Uh, and Zeb Wells uh, crushed it during the Beyond era. One of the better writers on the team. And I am very excited about this. I will say, okay, they're doing a thing on the cover where Spidey is like pointing his hand at you and about to shoot a web and his other hands behind him. And his leg is sticking out and it's bent at this really weird angle. <laughs> like at his knee, it's like bent in the way the legs don't bend. That is a John Romita Jr. thing that doesn't bother me. I love it. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I've seen him do that spidey a million times and I love it. My pick for next week is Bloodstained Teeth. Number one from Image. It's $3.99. It's written by Christian Ward, the Eisner Award winning co-creator of C, which is like O-D-Y-C, Invisible Kingdom and Machine Gun Wizards returns to Image with red-hot artist Patrick Reynolds, who worked on The Mask for an all-new ongoing series, a fast-paced 100-bullet-style crime saga with fangs, Atticus Sloan, misanthrope, criminal, asshole, and vampire, lives in a world where- That's a lot. He's got a lot going on. I would argue most vampires are assholes, though. Lives in a world Mm. where blood isn't the only thing vamps crave, and for the right price, he'll make you a vampire, too. After all, 
immortality isn't cheap. He sounds like a real shithead. <laughs> like you can pay him to become a vampire. I feel like every vampire story you've ever read, it's been like, nah, 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 nah. You don't want this. Trust me. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. Seems great. See, you know, I get it, but no, you, you don't want this. And you only pass it on like in the most dire circumstances. And he's like, Give me 500 bucks. <laughs> yeah. There you go, kid. You're a vampire. Get out of here. <laughs> it's like, um, it's like Tim Meadows in walk hard where um, yeah. Dewey keeps walking into the room where they're doing drugs. And he's yeah. like, you don't want none of this shit. Dewey. <laughs> uh, well, what will it do to me? Nothing bad. Yeah, it'll make you have sex longer, make you feel better, make food taste better. <laughs> well, what are the side effects? There are none. Uh, we both really liked Odyssey and Invisible Kingdom. I think Christian Ward is a guy that's really coming up. And I mean, the dude won an Eisner. It's not because he sucks. So this sounds like a ton of fun, though. Or he sucks I, less. He sucks less than the other nominees. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, Christian Ward is great. I, I think he's a, a huge talent. The THN trade of the week goes to Black Dog, The Dreams of Paul Nash. It's from Dark Horse Comics. It's $24.99. And here's your solicit. It's a new special edition with bonus material by Dave McKean. Best known for his collaborations with Neil Gaiman, McKean defied expectations with his stunning debut as writer and artist in Cages, winner of multiple awards for Best Graphic Album. Dark Horse proudly presents a new original graphic novel by the legendary artist based on the life of Paul Nash, a surrealist painter during World War I. The Dreams of Paul Nash deals with real soldiers' memoirs, and all the stories will add up to be a moving piece about how war and extreme situations change us, how we deal with that pain, and, in Nash's case, by turning his landscapes into powerful and fantastical Psychoscapes. Psychoscapes. I love Dave McKean. That's why I picked this I one. Too. He is so cool. And like, this is the guy that did so many creepy covers for Sam. He did all Man. the covers. 100% of the same in covers. Oh, that's are right. By he Dave did McKean. all of them, didn't he? I forgot. Well, I want uh, you know what? Maybe some of the later ones are not by Dave McKean, but he did a lot of them. Fair enough. But he has this otherworldly, terrifying look, like tool video, otherworldly style. And it is so awesome. I cannot wait to see this. Uh, my favorite Dave McKean uh, story is the, uh, I watched a little thing or I saw a little thing about uh, how one of the covers got made for Sandman and the cover of Sandman, whatever issue it is, I think it might be the issue that introduced Lucifer is actually a three-dimensional physical object because it's the painting in the center. Yeah. And then it is surrounded by wooden shelves glued together he that are did, full of actual little knickknacks, like screws and nails and shit. All the time. Where he's, he would just like and build yeah. like full on collages and stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, he, it's incredible. I, I, and, and not only is it that, like not only can he do that, but he's also a phenomenal painter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, this should be really good. You can find links to these picks in our show notes, and we always post our must-read picks on our Twitter and Facebook every Wednesday. So even when stoned, you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic book shop. But let us know what you thought of our picks. Joe, where's a good place for them to do that? I think Facebook is a great place. I think Facebook, so Twitter. Yeah. You know. Ryan Mount did just that this week. Sharp kid, that Ryan Mount. We like him.
before we call it an episode, we've got just enough time for a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra, which you can enjoy in full when you support THN for as little as $1 a month. This time, we're checking in with stately Lord Fungus for a British convention report. Apologies to our non-British speaking listeners out there. Luckily, Matt and I have been taking British lessons on Duolingo, and we're getting pretty ace. See? Not bad, right? Huh? Crikey. <laughs> Live from Mushroom Manor, I am Stately Lord Fungus. And I am QE2. And we're here today to join Joe and Matt talking about... Wales Comic Con. Now, a little bit of background. We were asked to go to New York and look at the New York Comic Con, but we thought, no, sod it. We'll go to Telford. It's only 10 minutes up the road. So we went there instead. So when we got there, what did you think about the queue? Um, what, th- what do you think about the QQE2? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a double Q. It was really good. It was a, there was a real sense of excitement in the, uh, and it, and it, it, it had a, a, a sort of a, a feel to it. I'd read online that it was like the WrestleMania of, of um, Comic-Cons, which I thought, well, that's going to be like Birmingham or London or something. But it had a really big feel to it. It mm. felt like you were somewhere special. The ima- I don't know if it was because it was the first one of the year, um, but everybody was just turning out and they, you know, I have to say like, you know, the standard of the cosplay was absolutely phenomenal. Oh God, it was amazing. I mean, the the cosplay, they were starting in the queue so you could get an idea of what they were going to look like. But then when you actually got inside in the foyer, they, everyone, everyone was dressed up, so many people. And I was quite jealous actually because I was thinking, oh, what can I dress up as next time when we go? Cruella, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd love to do Cruella. I'd also like to do Ray because that would be quite easy to do and it'd be nice and comfortable because a lot of the cosplayers, they just looked really like uncomfortable and I thought, no, I couldn't do that all day, no. But um, my friend came up, so she lives in London and she came up with a group of people um, and she, I think apparently they must they must do it quite a few times a year. She said they they do it quite a lot. So they they've got all the all the all the costumes and everything. But she dressed up as was it Natalia? It was Natalia, White Widow, Black yeah. Widow. And she did that fantastically. And then the day before, because she did the two days, she oh, did she was Loki. Loki. Yeah. yeah, she did female Loki, and she looked phenomenal. She really did. And didn't James Masters comment on yeah. it? Yeah, so she had her photo taken with quite a few. She did pay to have, have her photograph taken, and, and apparently James Masters said... Wow, I really don't, I won't do the American accent, but he's like, wow, <laughs> yeah. I really liked, I really like your costume, and he called over people to go to have a look, and that made her day. She was just over the moon. Um, oh god! And when you were walking around, you could see all the. And Ian kept pick, like pointing out all these these people to me. I was like, what? Ian, what? Ian. you? <laughs> because I don't call him Ian. <laughs> Sorry, honey. Who's Ian? I'm stately. <laughs> Yeah, but I do call you in occasionally if I'm mad at you. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And there was some Walking Dead walkers, and oh my god, they were just incredible. They were really creepy. Oh, and the guy was shuffling, wasn't yeah. he? He didn't break character. No, they were very, very creepy. That was brilliant. But really well done. Yeah. And then there was, um, I think there were two Gandalfs. One brilliantly done. There were some hobbits. Um, there was uh, Obi Wan. So I had my photograph taken with Obi Wan as well. Yeah. Oh, there's just, there's just so many. And there was there was quite a few that I just thought, well, I don't even know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> really random ones. By the way, if you hear any noises in the background, that is that's that's just the uh, the farm animals have got into the kitchen, so oh, they're yes. uh, they're just wandering around. You can hear snuffling. Oh, yeah, it's right by hear, the microphone. Yeah, if you can hear a snuffle. So the 
the thing that hit me when I when I first first walked in was the, the quality of the of the, the Comic Con and the fact that it mm. was the Telford International Centre is a really nice centre anyway that I've been to for shows and things mm. in the past. And it was really, really very well done. The the marshalling, the way they got everybody in and out, it was you just didn't get pissed off once. It was done really, really nicely and everybody was sort of very relaxed and very mm. calm and and you you got a feeling from the off that straight away it was the people who were sort of like displaying and the people who were sort of like selling, every the vendors, everybody it was all very high quality stuff. Yeah. It wasn't cheap tat like sometimes you get you know it was it was really 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 yeah, good fantastic. good quality stuff and we spent i mean we didn't spend a fortune but we, we could have we could have a fortune. <laughs> yeah we could have been really really silly actually there was one that that one store that had all the witcher swords um replica oh, witcher man. swords and i think you could have spent probably about 500 pounds there because they were fantastic they, they had the henry cavill witcher swords and they the, the steel and and the uh they had the silver and the steel, mm. and they had the the game ones as well. And they were about one hundred and fifty quid each, which mm. dollars what about two hundred dollars each. And they were, oh man, mm. we could have just could just cleaned up, oh, couldn't God, we? Yeah. But uh, then uh, we we didn't really have a long a lot of time to look around because we were sort of like uh, scooped up and taken <laughs> off to the buffet. Yeah, Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN six hundred and sixty two. Next week. Like promised before, the Cosmic Long Box will once again open and pull us into the comic time stream where it forces us to discuss classic back issues based on a theme. Joe Patrick, I have no idea what the theme is going to be this time. Uh, you know what? It's just a, like a bolt from the blue. It, uh, inspiration struck. Our theme for next week is the job is in the name. Don't get too hung up about the term job. I did, and it almost ruined our friendship. <laughs> it was wild. Uh, I couldn't so, make any picks. <laughs> yeah, uh, so we are we are talking about characters that put their job or their MO or their motivation right there in their name, and we'll rate how good they are at the job, too. If you want to wrap about this week's episode, comics you read, or any of the weekly nerdy news that's out there, Hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover, every Saturday. It starts at 11 Central Time. It is hosted on our Facebook page for now. And don't forget about our question of the week. <laughs> it's foreshadowing. Maybe. This, we're trying to figure some We're figuring. We're, you know what? We're just we're looking into some things. Don't worry about it. This week's question is submitted once again by Willie Toots. I just reread Batman Year One and The Dark Knight Returns. Talking with others about them brought up their sequels. The consensus is that those stories were bad and disappointing. Lightning doesn't strike twice, they say. But what is an example where it did? Where the follow-up story pulled it off or was even better? So we are talking about The Godfather Part 2 of comics. Which comic book sequels were as good as or surpassed the original. Yeah, I did do a little digging, but I found some. I'm going to have to really think hard about it. It's a tough one. Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We do this as often as possible. Like, uh, we do it ideally, every week. Every week. <laughs> I, ideally, what are you every week. About? You know, sometimes we, sometimes we don't, uh, but we try. Uh, if you want to play along with Cover to Cover Live, you can join our Zoom by clicking on the link in the Facebook Live video chat. 
for now. If you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline, which is 402-819-4894. We will make you internet famous. That's a guarantee. Remember to keep your recorded messages to two minutes or less uh, so that we can share the air with the live participants. And there are many. If you're new to the show and we offended you because you don't know what a flamethrower looks like either, I assure you it's only because <laughs> you haven't heard enough. You idiot. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. Hint, it's the one with the fire, the little fire at the end. It's got a fire. Okay. It looks like a it looks like a tank, like a like an oxygen tank or a fuel tank. THN is a listener-supported podcast and it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Jay Albright. Son of Madeline Albright. I don't know if any people know that. Uh, you know what? There, fun like- fact. I like that's a fun fact. Another fun fact is that I have a cousin named Jeff Albright, and I I can't imagine it's him, but the coincidence is staggering. Is he related to Madeline Albright? No, Matt. That's okay. uh, then it's no. not the same guy. There you go. If you like oh, what right. you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two headed nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content. We just talked about some. Or maybe you're a nut and you just want to make a one time donation. We talked about people that need to launder money. We are fine with that. Launder your money with us. You can do that via PayPal. Oh, yeah. We have a little donate here and joe might be a rat but i won't tell anybody where it came well hold on though but isn't doesn't isn't laundering like you give us your money and then like we eventually like give it back to you sure legitimate through legitimate means yeah of of course that's what it is sure and we'll do that don't worry hmm before we go our weekly shout out goes to frank cirillo for those that might not listen to our live call-in show first shame on you second Frank is one of our most regular contributors and a valued part of the THN community. Frank gave me the go ahead to share that he has had a tough go of it lately, health wise. Uh, No, don't worry about the details. Those are Frank's to share, but things are looking up and hopefully Frank is on the road to recovery. He's got leprosy. Can you believe? I didn't even know people got that shit anymore. Full blown feline (laughs) AIDS. It's crazy. Uh, Or at least he is on the road to the road to recovery. Word to you, Franklin. And we are glad you are on the road to the road to the mend, which is kind of like the road to the road to final crisis or whatever that was called. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer might just switch out your stash with ditchweed. And let me tell you, that shit sucks. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. We can do another bong rip noise there. Yeah, it's nothing but twigs and stems. You don't want that. No, it looks like the real thing. Here's the thing with ditchweed. Let me tell you something about ditchweed. You know what ditchweed is? Oh, please do. Ditchweed. Weeds that come from the ditch. No. Ditchweed is hemp, Joe. We used to grow hemp all over the United States. It was a bumper crop in the United States. The U.S. Constitution is printed on hemp paper. I shit you not. Thomas Edison grew hemp. George Washington had a farm that grew hemp. And hemp was grown along river basins and near streams. So when you find ditchweed, it is typically along those river basins and streams. It is hemp. Hemp don't get you high. Hemp has other properties. Yeah, but we're cool with hemp now as a society. We're trying to be. Actually, the U.S. is limiting. But you don't want to smoke it because it won't get you. The U.S. is limiting hemp more than they are marijuana right now, which is completely Okay, well. It's a whole different thing. This has taken a turn for the (laughs) non-hilarious, so.